Nice to see you all. I have a smaller lectern because I'm not very tall. So this is the last in our series on the church, a city on a hill, and we've looked at a number of metaphors for the church. And Terry Virgo points out that many of those metaphors are actually found in the book of Ephesians. He says this, it talks about a temple, not of concrete or stones, but of living people that are built together as a context for the presence of God. It talks about the church as a bride in Ephesians 5, that relationship of intimacy. It talks of us as a body together. And then it speaks of the church also by implication as an army. It says we're soldiers, we're to put on the armor, we're to fight. Let's pray. Father, just thank you so much that Jesus has already won the victory. Lord, we approach this from that standpoint. God, would you speak to us about how we're to be together as a church? Would you help us, Holy Spirit? Would you be with us? Could we recognize your presence amongst us? Make us more like Jesus today, Lord. Amen. Well, the movie industry has often chosen battle as a theme for some of its blockbuster hits. So if you were expecting a chick flick because you have a woman speaking, it's not going to happen. <laughs> There's Star Wars with the Rebellion fighting the Empire. There are the Marvel movies with S.H.I.E.L.D. fighting Hydra. And what about those great World War II movies? You know, Saving Private Ryan, The Bridge on the River Kwai, my personal favorite with Steve McQueen and the great motorbike scene, The Great Escape. Well, in 2017 at the Academy Awards, a slightly unusual World War II film was nominated for six Oscars, eventually taking home two of them. Hacksaw Ridge is the story of Desmond Doss, a conscientious objector, who enlisted for World War II as a conscientious cooperator. He quickly became an outcast amongst his fellow soldiers for refusing to carry a gun or to train on a Saturday. Now, my point in telling this story is not to talk about guns, so please don't get sidetracked by that issue. Um, his superiors attempted to discharge Doss on psychiatric grounds. They were overruled because having religious beliefs is not a mental illness. That's a relief. They tormented him then by putting him through grueling labor, hoping that he would sort of disqualify himself and leave. But he stayed. So his fellow soldiers mercilessly beat him one night. And the next morning, when asked, he refused to name his attackers and carried on training, ultimately becoming an army medic. Well, his refusal to carry firearms led to an arrest for insubordination. And while he was in prison, they tried to persuade him to plead guilty so that he could be released without charge but he refused to go against his own convictions, and ultimately, the charges were actually dropped. Eventually, his unit was assigned to the 77th Infantry Division and deployed to the Pacific Theater, and during the Battle of Okinawa, there were many, many losses on the first day of fighting. Well, the next morning, the Japanese launched a massive counterattack, and they pushed the Americans off the ridge. Sergeant Howells, Doss's superior, and many of his squad mates were left stranded and injured on the battlefield. And that is where this video begins. 
How did you get down? DOS. DOS did this. Of course, it's a war movie, but I'm already crying. What an amazing story. How inspiring is that? What's even more extraordinary is it's based on a true story of World War II medic Desmond Doss, who, in the midst of the bloodiest battle, rescued 75 men in a matter of hours without even firing a weapon. He was the only American soldier in World War II to fight on the front lines without a weapon except the one weapon that he spoke about, which was a prayer which he uttered, Lord, help me to get just one more. His courage and his faith eventually won the admiration of his commanders and his fellow soldiers as he rescued from behind enemy lines those who had persecuted him. He was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor and was, that was presented by President Truman who held his hands all through the reading of the citation, telling him, this is a greater honor than being president. Wow. What an amazing story, showing us that there's more than one way to serve in the battle. And we are in a battle. And like Desmond Doss, we have our own unique part to play. Now, while scripture never specifically says that the church is the army. Paul does use military analogies to describe the battle that we are in. Now the battle is won. We sang about that. Jesus is victorious. He is the victor. He is the champion of heaven. But we are still fighting against the spiritual forces of evil. It's a little bit like in World War II when D-Day secured the victory, but the fighting went on until VE Day. We're in that kind of in-between time the battle that we are in is just as real, but it is often unseen. But don't be deceived because we have a very real enemy. The Bible reveals to us that there are spiritual forces and powers at work in this world, personified in one that Jesus called the devil and the demons who serve him. But unlike God, they are not all-knowing, they are not all-seeing, and they are not all-powerful. But they are real and they do not want the church to succeed. Peter tells us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And frankly, he would like to devour you and me and take us out of the battle before it even begins. Because he understands our potential influence in the kingdom of God even more than we do. Each one of us is called to be fruitful, and if he can take just one of us out, he can affect the whole church. So we have to get clued in on how he works against us. Ignorance is not bliss. We need to be aware of his schemes. And often his schemes are not direct. His plan is to sideline us and take us out of the battle. And today I'd like to talk about one way that that happens, the battle for the mind. It's something that I've been very aware of in my own life. I'd like to share from my own experience and conversations I've had with some of you. And maybe we can get some tools to help us. You see, if the enemy came along and offered you a drink labeled poison or toxic, you probably wouldn't drink it, right? 
but he's too smart to make it look and taste poisonous. He comes along as a comforting friend offering you a hot cup of tea. He puts the tea bag in, lets it brew so that you get the full flavor. And when you begin to drink it, you will find yourself drinking a very bitter cup of herbs because he comes along and he drops just a little thought in our mind. It has enough truth in it to reel you in, but there's always a negative slant to it, and there is untruth. John says this about the devil. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And he loves to poison our minds with negative thoughts and lies, which he's hoping that we will believe. Thoughts about ourselves, about each other, and about God. He'll plant the seed thought that you are just not doing enough, that you don't belong, that you deserve better, or that your illness is worse than it seems or that the mistake you made is just too big to come back from. I'm not going to leave that there because we know that Jesus paid the price for our sin. If that doesn't work, he'll try to separate us from our friends and our family by sowing mistrust amongst people. He loves to do that. Did you see the look that she gave you? I cannot believe that he said that. That is unbelievable. Or he might say, so-and-so gets many more opportunities than you, but you're much more gifted. He loves it when we compare ourselves to each other. And if that fails, he'll try to get at the core of our faith by trash-talking God. Oh, God didn't heal you. Hmm, I wonder if he really loves you. Oh, you prayed for that and that didn't happen. Hmm. Is God really faithful? We know he is, right? Rather than questioning those thoughts, all too often, we just let them wander in, uninvited. Or worse yet, we invite them in and say, sit down, tell me more. That's very interesting. And before we know it, we're entertaining anxiety and malice and bitterness and resentment and pride and judgments about us, ourselves, about each other, and about God. We're fighting the wrong enemy, like Doss's fellow soldiers who labeled him a coward and beat him, even though he was on their side. Now, it's very important to say that not every negative thought is a direct attack from the enemy, right? We do well enough on that ourselves with our flesh. But messing with your head, that is a scheme of the enemy. Let's look at what 2 Corinthians says. He says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. As soldiers, we take captive the thought we have to win the battle in our mind. That is where it begins. Now, if you, like me, at times struggle in your head, there's grace for that, right? 
And there's very good news because Paul says that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That is an amazingly powerful statement. If you are looking for transformation in your life, you can begin right here in your mind. Renew your mind. These days, even the doctors have caught up with what God has told us all along, that how you think affects your health. In his book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, Dr. Daniel G. Amen, I love that name, who is a psychiatrist, has a lot to say about our thoughts. Let's have a look at that slide. Your automatic thoughts do not always tell you the truth. You don't have to believe every thought that goes through your head. It's important to think about your thoughts to see if they help you or if they hurt you. Unfortunately, if you never challenge your thoughts, you just believe them as if they were true. These negative thoughts invade your mind like ants at a picnic. One negative thought, like one ant at a picnic, is no big deal. Two or three negative thoughts become more irritating, and 10 or 20 negative thoughts can cause real problems. You can train your thoughts to be positive and hopeful, or you can just allow them to be negative and upset you. Once you learn about your thoughts, you can choose to think good thoughts and feel good, or you can choose to think bad thoughts and feel lousy. That's right. It's up to you. Ouch. It's kind of challenging, isn't it? You don't have to believe every thought that goes through your head. I think that's a really big relief because sometimes my thoughts are unwholesome, unhelpful, and uninspiring. Because our thoughts create a chain reaction. Our thoughts affect our feelings, affects our attitude, affects how we speak, and then affects our behavior ultimately. Here's an example. I'm sure you've never thought like this. Mabel never speaks to me. She always talks to Agnes and does things with her. And I thought we were friends. Now I can see that she just doesn't like me. So now how do I feel? Well, I feel rejected, mad, and pretty darn resentful. Well, how does that affect my attitude when I'm with them? Well, I'm cool, and I'm offhand, and very distant. And when somebody says to me, oh, Mabel is so lovely, I say, oh, really? I find her quite cliquey, not very inviting. And then how does that affect my behavior around Mabel? Well, I'm on eggshells. I avoid her as much as I possibly can even if there's a project I would like to work on, but she's on the team. I'm aware of wherever she is in the room, and every laugh I hear, every action that she does, irritates me. You see, there's a resentment in place because of an unspoken and an unmet desire for Mabel to be my friend. Yet I might have never said to her, hey, what's up? And poor Mabel? She has no idea what's going on. I'll give you a recent personal example, because that one wasn't me or you. We've never done that, right? Three years ago, I took up tennis, and I play on a team called the Sly Skills. 
I am not the best player on the team. I have a lot of catching up to do, but I love to play and I love the ladies on my team. When we play a match, we call it a street fight and we say to each other, bring it. So at the beginning of this season, I was very rusty because I hadn't played much over the summer because we had traveled a lot. And at those first practices, it seemed like everyone was playing well except me. And I began to think, oh, I am the worst player on the team. I bet everybody hates playing with me. I should just leave. And suddenly in my head, every time I missed a shot in a drill or the coach made a comment, I was like, come on, what is wrong with you? And I began to focus on everything I was doing wrong. But when I looked at everybody else, I saw what they did right, even though they made mistakes too. I genuinely began to entertain the thought, I might as well just play out this season because it's already paid for and then I'm out of here. And that made me feel very hesitant, a bit stressed when I was at practice. You know, when you tightened up, try serving when you, you're doing it that way. And I was just generally very grouchy. And then I rolled my ankle and I couldn't play for a few weeks. So I had to think about it. And I went through a thought process that changed my thinking. But more on that later. Have you ever done that? Focused on the negative in yourself? and the positives in other people. Somebody once said, a fictional character in a novel, you cannot judge your own insides by looking at somebody else's outsides. So here are some of the ways our thoughts lie to us. And you, you could probably recognize every single one of these in my tennis story. And maybe you could recognize it in your own life. I don't know. We'll see if the cat fits. Number one, a negative focus. I got a C on that paper, everything's going downhill. Whereas you have A's and B's in the other things, and what you focus on gets bigger. All or nothing thinking. Thursday. My co-worker is fantastic, he's a dream to work with. Friday. My co-worker is such a disaster, he is so fired and out of here. There's no in-between. Always thinking. They never ask me to go out. Everyone else is always invited. No one ever thinks to include me. Or we have fortune tellers amongst us. Oh no, I heard on the news that business is bad. I'm probably going to lose my job. Then we won't be able to pay our mortgage. And I'm probably going to lose my house then I'll have to live with my mother-in-law. And so it goes on. Or mind reading, believing that you know what another person is thinking without even actually speaking to them. Then there are the guilt beatings and the legalism. You really should make more effort. Then there's the labeling. Oh, I'm so stupid and so ugly. Or I'm so clever. Or he's just an idiot and we write somebody off. And then there's blaming, where we blame other people for our problems rather than taking responsibility for our part in them. I mean, really, I'm sure you didn't recognize yourself in there. But, you know, I can get tied up in knots if I let those kind of thoughts run rampant through my head without checking them. Before I know it, I have a movie script that is totally fictitious, 
may never happen, but is actually worthy of a Hollywood Oscar. <laughs> and those thought patterns are often based on just false beliefs that we've had about ourselves for years. So how do we stop that chain reaction of thoughts, feelings, attitude, speech, behavior? Well, in his book, Hardwiring Happiness, Rick Hansen makes the comment that our brains are like Velcro when it comes to negativity and like Teflon, which just slides off for the positive and the good. And he says this, whether you're doing it simply to feel good or to meet a challenge, being able to self-activate useful states of mind to get the song playing that you want on your inner radio station is fundamental to psychological healing, everyday well-being and effectiveness, personal growth and spiritual practice. There's a lot at stake there, isn't there? The song that's playing in your head can affect all of those things. But we have God, right? We have God to help us. Spiritual practices, we have a battle to win. You know, when Ian recently finished the series on Philippians, he quoted Chuck Swindle and he talked about attitude or thinking. It, the quote goes like this, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. We are. I'm responsible for my attitude. You're responsible for yours. So why is it that our thoughts so often seem invasive and out of control and our attitude is pretty stinky? I think sometimes we're just too passive. We, we're just not a, a, alert or awake. And we become just accustomed to believing every thought that chases through our head. We just accept it as true without challenging it. And I think we do feed on a lot of negative stuff. You know, there's a lot of bad news around. The attitude of the culture is quite negative in some of the movies and the soap operas and that kind of thing. And I think sometimes those negative things do stick. So how do we get the right song playing in our heads? You see, we don't just want to self-activate a useful frame of mind, as Rick Hansen said, so that we can win a street fight on the tennis court. Right? There's a lot more at stake than that. God has called us to fight against the spiritual forces of evil, to rescue those who are injured and dying in enemy territory, just like Jesus already hefted us over his shoulder and, res and rescued us. In Doss's case, 75 lives were at stake. He saved 75 people. And he said, Lord, help me to get one more. We need help. <laughs> We can't self-activate those useful states of mind. We need help. And Jesus sent us a helper. And his name is the Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Wayne Grudem says this about the Holy Spirit. He is the primary manifestation of the Trinity among us, the one most prominently present with us now. 
the Holy Spirit is prominently present with me, with you, right now. He's an amazing helper. The Amplified Bible says that he is the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, and the standby. Wow. And Jesus told the disciples that when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit is well able to help us combat the lies of the enemy. He tells the truth about us, about each other, and about God. We are new creations called to bear fruit. We are forgiven. We are brothers and sisters called to love, serve, and forgive each other as we work together. God is faithful. God is the King of kings. God is the Lord of lords. Now that is the kind of thinking that I want in my head, yeah? That's Holy Spirit talk. That's fighting talk. I mean, come on. Right? And then there's more good news. Because this body of mine and that body of yours, they are temples of the Holy Spirit. He lives with us. And he guides us into truth. Whoa. That's amazing. He's the one who helps us to renew our minds as we learn to keep in step with him. And you know, one of the ways I found helpful in learning to keep in step with him is to find out what pleases him and to find out what grieves him. And scripture helps us with that. Scripture encourages us to have a new attitude, to take off certain things and to put on others. Here are a couple of lists I compiled from Ephesians 4 and Galatians 5. One is for what to put off and the other is for what to put on. So the first list, falsehood, bitterness, rage, anger, malice, conceit, envy, unforgiveness, resentment, slander, and unwholesome talk. Anybody putting that on? Putting it on or taking it off? What do we think? Take it off. You see, anger, resentment, and bitterness always diminish us, and they divide us from other people, and they affect the unity of the church. They thin out the ranks. It's like enemy territory. The new attitude, righteousness, holiness, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, love, joy, patience, gentleness, self-control. Putting that off or putting it on? putting it on. You know, when we are kind, compassionate, and forgiving to ourselves first, it results in self-worth with humility, where we can be secure in who we are without being threatened by other people. And it results in love and unity in the body when we treat other people with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. They are the fruits of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And that's the stuff of God's kingdom. So it's tuning into the Holy Spirit that changes the radio station in our head. He helps us to crush those ants at the picnic, those negative thoughts, and he helps us to tune into the truth. But it is a partnership. 
we can choose to cooperate with him or not. He won't force us to win the battle for our minds. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in his book on spiritual depression. We have to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. We have to learn to take ourselves in hand. So there's grace and there's power for the battle for the mind, but there's discipline too. We have to take ourselves in hand. It's like knowing what is God's responsibility and knowing what's our responsibility. That doesn't negate grace. There's power. The Holy Spirit empowers us as we take steps to win the battle for our mind. He produces the fruit of the Spirit as we cooperate with him. With his help, we can choose to recognize negative thoughts. We can speak right back at them and stop them having power over us. That neutralizes the enemy's attack on our identity, our call, and our unity. If he can destroy those three things, we are out. You know, Desmond Doss was different. He didn't fit in. He didn't compare himself to others, though, and try to be like them. He knew who he was and what God had called him to do. He, he was strong in his identity. And he had an unshakable conviction about God's call on his life. And he persevered even when other people tried to exclude him. When he was hounded and beaten, he forgave his enemies, refused to name them, and forgave those who persecuted him. And despite being labeled a coward, he acted with courage to save those who had persecuted him, realizing that they were on the same team. So maybe you're having an experience like Doss. You don't fit in, you're different. You think that people misunderstand you. Your gifts don't seem to be wanted or even used. And you're wondering, maybe it's just time to give up on my hopes and dreams. Maybe it's time to give up on these people. No, don't do that. That would sideline you and take you out of the battle. Oh, don't do that. In the midst of the battle for our minds, we have to question our thoughts and ask, are they helpful or accurate? Or are they harmful and untrue? In effect, we say, halt, who goes there, friend or foe? Don't just let them wander in uninvited and take up residence. It's a great tool where you can check your reality thinking. It's called the reach scale. We have it right there. You look at your repetitive negative thoughts, the effect they have on you, how accurate they are. You challenge them and you get yourself some help. Now, while I realize that tennis is not world peace, I do think that the tennis story has elements that we can all identify with. It's like a little microcosm of life because we all want to belong to something bigger than just us. When we belong to that something bigger, we want to play our part and we want to add value and we want to feel included and part of the team, right? Yet often we feel alone, unqualified and excluded. 
So this example that I'm going to work through, this could be the youth group, the worship team, your community group, your job, whatever. Because life is about working with people, right? We're called to do things together. So I took a look at this. I thought, what is my repetitive negative thought? This is when I had my rolled ankle. It was this, I am the worst player on the team and I might as well just leave because everybody hates playing with me. Hmm, great thought, makes you feel really good. And I would ask myself, how true do I think that is on a scale of one to 10? Hmm, about 12, <laughs> on a bad day, right? Well, what effect does that thought have on me, on my emotions? Oh, I'm sad, I'm you know, disgruntled, I feel resentful. I'm, you know, isolating myself. In my behavior, I'm timid, I'm hesitant, I'm uptight, I'm stressed. So it's even worse when you go to play when all of that is happening, right? So I think, well, that's not a good effect, right? Because it's, 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 help, it's not helpful. It's harming me the way I'm feeling. So then I think, well, okay, let's look at the accuracy of that thought. I'm the worst player on the team. I might as well just leave because everybody hates playing with me. Okay. So well, what evidence makes that true? Well, I do miss quite a few shots, and the coach makes a comment on that, etc., etc. Um, but what evidence makes that thought false? Well, my teammates like me. They're always smiling and laughing and joking. We have great conversations together, and it's fun. They're always paying me compliments. So you see, this is how the enemy comes. There's truth and there's untruth. I wasn't playing very well, but it, was, it shouldn't be enough to cause me to leave my teammates. So who could I go to to challenge that thought? Well, I could go to my coach or to my teammates, or I could simply recognize that it's the enemy and send him packing. In this case, I recognized that it was the enemy and sent him packing. I asked for help. I asked the Holy Spirit to speak to me because I was pretty worked up about it. And he asked me a question. He said, why do you play? Simple question. And as I slowed down and began to think about it, I thought, I love tennis. I play for fun. I don't play to win. That would be great, but I play for fun. And you know what? Tennis really brings me joy or misery. And that joy spills over into other areas of my life, which is a great thing because we need things and people in our life that bring us joy. And on the heels of that, I thought, hey, and I am improving. And I thought about how good I am at the net and how my backhand cross-court volley is pretty effective and Gareth calls it the bim-bamboozle. <laughs> and that made me smile. And tennis also puts me in the position of being a learner which is good for your brain. And it's good for practicing humility because you have to learn to put your mistakes behind you. And finally, tennis produces a fighting spirit in me. It gives me like a zest for life. Now, wouldn't the enemy love to rob me of all those benefits and separate me from my teammates? You know, we're not looking for positive thinking. We're looking for accurate thinking. And here is the accurate thinking. 
I am the worst player on the team. And, but that's okay, because somebody has to be, right? But the most important thing is that I play my part and that I be the best that I can actually be. That's the important thing. And you know, we do all have roles on our team. So think about the Spice Girls, Posh Spice, Baby Spice, Scary Spice, all of that kind of stuff. Well, we are the Slice Girls, and we jokingly all have a role. So we have Physical Trainer Slice. We have Attorney Slice. We do actually have a Doctor Slice. But I am known as Spiritual Advisor Slice. And I am going to play my part. I'm not going to let the enemy take me out. Right? Now that's tennis. And it seems like a small thing, but couldn't that be life in general, just the things that we're involved in? The enemy would love to rob you of your joy. He'd love to question your identity and your call. He'd love to separate you from your team, from your people. He'd love to make you so aware of the struggle that you forget that Jesus is the champion. He'd like to make you so aware of your mistakes that you forget that there is grace in Jesus. And it makes you forget that you have the Holy Spirit right alongside you. So, wake up. Yeah? Let's be alert. Let's Realize we're in a battle. And let's not let the enemy come and poison our mind. Challenge the accuracy of every negative thought that you have. Slow down enough to recognize it. Change the radio station playing in your head by tuning in to the Holy Spirit. And make your thoughts obedient to Jesus. Let's be Teflon for the bad and Velcro for the good. And scripture can really help you with that. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Oh, the Holy Spirit loves those things. Helps us to stay in step with him. So believe what God says about you, about your life about your teammates, and about their lives, and about himself. Whatever negative thoughts or lies have been spoken over you, or whatever negative thoughts and lies that you have spoken over other people, there is a higher truth being spoken over our lives by Jesus. He has called us. He has included us. He has made us holy and blameless. He has made us interdependent so that we need each other. He has good works prepared for every single one of us. There's enough to go around. Works that will touch the lives of those around you for good. And he will equip us for the task. And he will empower us as we walk alongside the Holy Spirit. So let's get our heads in the game. Let's put on our armor and take our stand against the devil's schemes. Let's win the battle for our minds. Let's join God in his great rescue mission. 
to rescue the injured and the dying from enemy territory. With Doss, let's say, Lord, one more, and then one more, and then one more.